Hello and welcome to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. This is episode 33 of the most influential weekly podcast to come out of the Saskatchewan business community. On each episode, Paul Martin, business commentator and the chair of Martin Charlton Communications, brings us the stories behind the headlines and explains why each story matters to you. On today's episode, we're dipping back into a topic that we've touched on before about the timing of economic cycles, the ups and downs, and why they are different in central Canada compared to the West. You know, Dan, sometimes we've called that the teeter-totter of Canada, right? And uh, uh, we've alluded to this in previous uh, podcasts, but thought maybe we should dig into it just a little bit and see if we can parse the reasons why there's such a difference. And really, ultimately, I think it comes down to uh, something as simple as just population. And out in the West, the prairies in particular, I mean, we have a large land base with a relatively small population. And, uh, And so that means you do things differently than when you're in a more concentrated area with way more people per square inch or per square foot and the nature of the businesses changes. So if you think about it this way uh, in uh, say Toronto, which is, uh, you know, the heartland of Southern Ontario, the golden triangle, it's the most dense population base we have in the country. So as a consequence, there's a lot of service related stuff, people encountering each other commercially face to face. And the financial services, these kinds of things tend to be headquartered there. Now, you go out to the prairies where you have, you know, you could have a farmer actually managing uh, multiple square miles of property or land and managing it quite effectively single-handedly. So you, you end up with a profoundly different kind of approach. You end up where the big driver in uh, the prairies, for sure, is commodities and uh, fundamentally different than the service sector. So you don't have as big a service sector as you do in in Ontario. So when you get the economy in favor of the service side of things, that means the teeter-totter is up in central Canada, but commodities being cyclical, there will be times when the opposite is true. And we're in that right now where you see uh, you know, housing prices starting to decline and that kind of stuff in Toronto. And you're seeing commodity prices rise, which is lifting all the boats on the prairies. And this is the teeter-totter. But if you ask yourself, you know, why, uh, this is one country, you have the same currency, you have the same, um, you know, interest rates, banking policies across the country, why would they be so different? And in fact, it's got nothing to do with the construct of government or governance. It has more to do with, the economic drivers of the regions and uh, population becomes a driver onto itself. They talk about a city uh, when it reaches 500,000 people becomes a self-sustaining economy. And in economic development circles, you see communities that are under that threshold kind of aspiring to a half a million so that you're, you can kind of set aside some of the vagaries of the ups and downs of cycles. Uh, Calgary and Edmonton, for example, would have achieved that on the prairies. Winnipeg has now achieved it. Regina and Saskatoon have not and are probably more subjected to the, you know, the waves and the challenges that come with choppy waters associated with difficult times. The flip side is the boats rise higher 
uh, during the uh, uh, economic cycles when you're in ascension. You don't have the big swings in Calgary or Toronto, even though Calgary is, uh, or sorry, Calgary or Edmonton, where Calgary is, you know, we would have thought of it as an oil town, right? I mean, people would put it that way. Then when the price of oil started to drop off a couple of years ago, you know, did Calgary fall off the face of the map? No, in fact, it kept on growing. So that really speaks to the simple diversity that comes with having enough population to create your own vortex if you want. And Regina and Saskatoon have not done that. Maybe if they were a single city in Saskatchewan, that would have been possible, like has happened in Manitoba, where Winnipeg is 75% of the population. Uh, in Saskatchewan, Regina and Saskatoon, only 55%. Well, that's a, and that's split. So it's, it's more like 30, 25 uh, in each of the individual communities. They've got, a, they've got a ways to go. And I think from a policy perspective, you have to think about it that way, that economic development needs to be uh, pursued in that kind of a light. And uh, I'm intrigued by, for example, the, well, I, I would say that it, it's not a particular focus on investment attraction. Uh, I don't see us really focusing on two or three sectors and going after them. Uh, in the two major cities, they would argue probably there is, but I would argue that if there is, it's it's um, rather tepid. Uh, we rely more on what they call BREE, which is the business retention investment expansion concept of economic development, which is to build from within. So Joe's welding shop on the north end of town adds a single job. That's a, you know, pretty powerful stuff. But uh, the problem is it's hard to track that and it's hard to shape consumer uh, mores or mindsets around that by Joe's welding shop put one job in. But if you attract a business from outside your community to yours, that A, gets a lot of headlines, that's very uplifting for the rest of the people in the community. And it says, gee, my town's better than that one. They're prepared to leave over there and come to mine, which is reinforcing. Now, Joe's Welding Shop creates the same amount of economic activity with the creation of a job, but it just doesn't have that impact. So if you look at this teeter-totter concept and how you know economies become different, you end up with uh, the that sort of Toronto-based mindset, I think, that says we're about the service sector. And if you want to relate it to COVID, here's the example. Uh, the service sector took it on the chin in Toronto in a much bigger way than it did in Saskatchewan, for example. And that's simply space. And there's just so much room to operate here. And so, yes, we had COVID and all of that stuff, but you know, it didn't spread like it spread in the big cities. And so we didn't need curfews and lockdowns uh, in the same, to the same degree that say Montreal had where actual curfews, we never saw that in the prairies and uh, you know, maybe part of its mindset, but I think also it's manageability is that uh, we have this large land base with small population. And as a consequence of that, that creates uh, a certain skill set. And so you have, for example, SAS Power and SAS Tel. Uh, you know, yes, they deliver power electrical services and they deliver telecommunications, but I would argue that, uh, you know, particularly SAS Tel, I mean, it's one of the only standalone little individual companies left in the phone business in North America. How does it survive? And I would argue that it has a certain expertise, 
that is related around being able to deliver a quality service to a small population over a large landmass. And that is an asset of some sort. SAS Power has the same thing. And as a consequence, when you start to talk about the teeter-totter of Canada, where you have a hot market in Toronto and a down market in the West, well, the central banks tend to want to raise interest rates to cool the Toronto market. Well, if you're already cool in the West, the last thing you want is a more cooling or chilling effect from the central bank, but you have to have national policy. So as a consequence, you end up with the prairies and Southern Ontario often at loggerheads. You know, they are in a different stage of the economic cycle. Yet, if you were to say with Saskatchewan, who do we have more in common with? Likely North Dakota, South Dakota, Montana, and Wyoming. And because they look a lot like us, right? Small population, relatively large land mass, service delivery, all the same challenges. Perhaps we have more commonality with the business challenges that are associated with what goes on in those states than we do with what goes on in Southern Ontario. And I remember the conversation we were having in Saskatchewan with the notion at one point, I mean, it's it's gone now, but it was a, a conversation that the Brad Wall administration had about perhaps we should sell 49% or up to 49% assessed health. And the logic being we would get Bell and Telus into the room and we would have them kind of, you know, we'd auction off 49%. We're the last space between the two big players and, uh, you know, which of you is going to pay more for it, yadder, yadder, yadder. And, you know, we would have ended up, if you would have had, you know, a large shareholder of either of those two, you probably would have lost a lot of autonomy and decision-making because let's face it, Bell wasn't going to change its system to accommodate 51% ownership in, in Saskatchewan. So I raised this with the minister of finance at the time, uh, Kevin Doherty. And, uh, you know, the, he was seeking input from the public on this stuff. And he said, most of the ideas that were coming were very defensive in nature in that how do we protect Sastel? Nobody ever talked about how do we grow it? And so one of the notions that, you know, I, I remember sta- I was standing in a buffet line with them that uh, we were both speaking at a function for the commercial realty industry. And I was up first, he was up second. And so as we're standing in the buffet line, I said, you know, what if we were to say, rather than sell 49% of Sastel, what if we were to go and talk to the Americans and say, my guess is North Dakota, South Dakota, Wyoming, and Montana are not the crown jewels of the American telecommunications industry. Perhaps you would like to roll those up into a single one. We would lead that by having Sastel make the purchase. Sastel would then remain the headquarters, you know, effectively the headquarters of this company would be in Regina, but it would be five to six times bigger. And so rather than piece off 49%, you end up maybe with 25% or 20%, but it's of a much bigger pie and you still control uh, things. And, uh, you know, I laughed at the minister. He said, well, I got to tell you, uh, you know, that is more of a aggressive than a defensive strategy, but no one has ever raised that idea with me. And it just struck me as, you know, maybe the commonality we need to look at is less about what country we're in, but more about what region we're in. And there is a, uh, you know, I remember years ago covering, uh, it was a kind of a loose cabal of people that were, you know, business people that were 
kicking around uh, ideas of something called Cascadia, which was a notion of a country that would be through the central corridor of North America, basically go from Alberta, Saskatchewan, the Cascade Mountains was where the name Cascadia came from, all the way down to Texas. And uh, that the people that live in that corridor have more in common with each other than, you know, the Americans had with New York or uh, Saskatchewan or Alberta had with Toronto. And that with the, you know, having Texas as the bottom end of it, you'd have access to seaports and, uh, and that kind of stuff. Uh, it didn't go anywhere, but it, you know, who knows, maybe it will be discussed again, given the fractures that are going on in the U S and the fractures in Canada as well. But, uh, it was, um, it, you know, it was the result of fertile minds looking at ideas and then saying, rather than this political construct that went East West 500 years ago, Maybe we should look at the North-South thing because we look more and sound more like each other and we play games such as farming and oil production and these kinds of things more like each other. And for the, the prairies, every once in a while, you get this notion of some sort of a separatist movement kicking up here because there's discontent with voting patterns in the country and the lack of an economic or a, a significant a political voice in Ottawa through what the Americans have, the Senate mechanism, Canada doesn't have that. So you get more frustration up here. And every once in a while, they start looking for an alternate and that notion of hooking up going north-south has some appeal. And I know this is a long ways from the teeter-totter that we started about, but it really is, a, it's an interesting uh discussion point for those who run politics at a national level. If you're trying to figure out how to hold a country together, uh, sometimes it's just the lowest common denominator and it's pretty darn low because man, there are many, many differences in this, in this place. Even if you look from the position of collaboration, understanding, cooperation, working together, we, we see, um, uh, you know, um, uh, Scott Moe has been off on on uh, different uh, missions and different different representatives have been to different places. It's kind of an element of saying, sure, there's the political tie and and everything that we have in Canada that everyone is incredibly proud of. But when you actually look at growth and opportunity, you you have to think differently. And what you're saying with the example of the teeter-totter, the, the swings and the roundabouts, it sometimes must point in our existing system with economic policy, with government policy, with federal government policy, that there are times when a policy aids Ontario and simply hurts the West. Yeah, there's no question. And, you know, it's most readily visible in, in economic things because interest rates, for example, and we've been through this before, but I mean, if you want to look for a flashpoint, just look at the conversation going on around uh, gun ownership and you see it in the States, but you see it in Canada too. And there is a profoundly different perspective on uh, firearms in downtown Toronto versus what you see on out in the prairies of Saskatchewan. Right. Uh, and so, if you're a political leader, you're trying to figure out how do I, you know, make everybody happy, not going to happen. And so, so take a look at how we voted last round. Uh, you can see a 100% sweep against the governing party in Saskatchewan. That, that hurts politically uh, Saskatchewan when you're trying to get Ottawa's attention or ear on something. Uh, but the flip side is it's a statement as well. And, um, uh, you know, if the politicians say, well, that's something I can put up with. I, I guess that's where you end up. You create isolation and, and division and, and make people even more 
reticent to be a part of the grander picture. But uh, yeah, it's a it's a challenge that comes uh, with this thing, and and the notion of finding political leadership that actually can elevate the conversation beyond these things and get people to rally around common thought processes. We don't talk much about values in Canada and, uh, and that sort of stuff. So periodically what you need in order to rally the troops behind each other is a common enemy who's an outsider. And the best place we find that probably is in hockey. Yeah, it's funny how Canadians can rally behind a Canadian hockey team at the international level. Uh, and, you know, who are who's Darth Vader and all of this? It's always the guys in Russia, right? But apparently the Americans are getting pretty good at hockey now and they're producing more hockey players than Canada. And, oh, you know, this, this could be challenging as we go forward. But, you know, our grandkids may have a profoundly different view of the world. As soon as we get into the sporting place, I have to reach over for my book because I am not skilled in this area whatsoever, but the lines are clear for sure. Paul, thank you so much for this. The the, uh, insight, the understanding, and just that that view as we see what happens in our day-to-day lives from the perspective of this is why this is happening. Explaining that why really matters. Paul, a huge thank you. And thank you for taking the time to listen to Saskatchewan Matters from Martin Charlton Communications. Do share these insights that power Saskatchewan with your colleagues and friends. Saskatchewan Matters is proud to be a part of the Saskatchewan Podcast Network.